folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. And today we have another installment of America's favorite show within a show, Change My View. Yeah! And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> uh, yeah, after, uh, you know, we did the uh, Change My View on Bigfoot, and, uh, you know, we felt really good about that show. Um, so, I won. Uh, <laughs> Big time. <clears throat> As he has not failed to point out ever since we did that show. Um, and, uh, so today we're going to flip flop it today. I am going to attempt to change one of senses views. Yep. And my view today is about artificial intelligence. And so in other words, we're still dealing with scary monsters. <laughs> That's right. Or not so scary <laughs> monsters in my view. Um, my view today is that artificial intelligence is not something that we as a society should be afraid of. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a tall order, but I think I've cooked something up for you. As you guys may remember from the last episode, what we've done is we, you know, since uh, when we went to do preparation, he laid out this point and then all his supporting points for why he thinks that's the case. I have prepared counterpoints and rebuttals. Which I am not privy to. He has not seen, not nary a hide of it. So today is going to be the first time he hears these arguments from me. All right. So I'll kick it off. Um, for one... I feel like artificial intelligence uh, can be and is a very powerful tool uh, to society. I think that, you know, everything carries risks. Mm -hmm. In this case, the risks definitely outweigh the benefits. Um, you know, killer robots, sure, they may happen. Um, but the potential benefits to humanity are infinite and unending. Okay. Um, so... In that, you're saying that there are benefits and that there are risks, but there are risks, right? Certainly. And typically, we're afraid of risks, right? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next week. <laughs> no, but to your point, um, I think what's important here for this point um, the way I've kind of constructed all this is here, at least, we have to lay out what the, what the risk is, right? Do we both accept that a risk... Uh, okay. Do we both accept that if over the course of this episode, I convince you that there is a chance that AI will wipe out humanity to me, that's the, a risk. The risk analysis would have to be on the positive side. In other words, um, every time you get into a car, mm -hmm. you have a risk of dying in a terrible car accident. Right. Mm -hmm. But saying that cars are something we should be afraid of. Right. Is, is, you know, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. So to me, the, the, the benefit of, of cars um, is outweighed mm -hmm. by the risk of dying in a fiery car crash. Yeah. So if you can convince me that the risks of AI are greater than the potential benefits in some way, shape, or form, and it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not saying show me the statistics or anything right. like that, but just a reasonable argument, mm -hmm. um, I will be forced to concede my point. Hmm. Well, you, you bring up a... a something interesting that I want to note before we jump into this about statistics, right? Um, kind of the nature of this topic, at least to me and the nature of how we're doing these shows, the change my view shows, uh, today's not going to be about statistics. Um, it's very much going to be about thought experiments and stuff like that. And so as far as, uh, you know, I believe when we did the Bigfoot episode, you kind of gave like an outlook at the beginning. Um, I think that towards the end of this, um, if my personal goal, is if I can get you to acknowledge that one is as likely as the other. Okay. You know I'll, what I mean? I'll take 50-50 that, as yeah. a loss. I, right, I right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
Okay. Uh, with that being said, I feel like the entirety of what we're going to talk about speaks to whether or not the risks outweigh the benefits. Awesome. And I think we should move on to point two. All right. Uh, so point two, while computers can now code themselves and in some cases even develop their own languages completely, you know, unbeknownst to even the programmers, um, humans are still ultimately in control of the AI. I mean, it's a program running on a machine that needs power. We can unplug it, um, literally. Right. Well, first off, I feel like there are so many movies that you have not seen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, here's the thing. A lot of times when you're talking about AI, uh, you have to acknowledge out the gate that movies play a big part in what society, at least, Sure, there's a a cultural collective behind the idea. Yeah, it's seeped into, you know, most of what we think about Mm -hmm. AI. So you have to acknowledge that. Not to forget, which will come up later on, uh, Isaac Asimov. I mean, you know, science fiction stories, like all of that. But I think what happens is people are like, oh, well, you know, you just saw that in a movie. True. There are outlandish scenarios that take place in movies, but that doesn't mean that there aren't lessons. Right. That Absolutely. doesn't mean that there aren't things we can't learn from movies. I wanted to touch on through. Uh, take, for instance, 2001, a space odyssey. Right. So here we have the evil computer Hal that turns on the crew and, you know, eventually like murders them off and stuff. Surprisingly, I have not seen the movie. <laughs> Fair enough. But Hal brings up the question of how do you know when to pull the plug? In mm. Hal's case, Hal was so intelligent that he was able to hide the fact that he was turning on them until the last moment. Like that's kind of how the movie plays out. That's interesting. I could even see a situation where maybe, uh, maybe an AI is connected to some sort of, uh, you know, internet system and, and much like the Russian story attacking our electric grid, perhaps Mm -hmm. like, you know, hides the fact that it's sucking power from somewhere else. And yeah, you know, now we go to shut down its power and whoops, the computer's found another way to plug in, (laughs) you know, he turns back on and his eyes are red now. Well, it's interesting that you bring up being connected to the grid because that leads me to another movie. Okay. And that would be Terminator, but (laughs) we're going to talk about Terminator three rise of the machines. Uh, in that movie, we see how Skynet, uh, have you, have you, you've seen the early Terminator? Yeah. yeah, actually, I okay. just watched uh, watched Terminator One with my eldest <laughs> oh, did a little while back. <laughs> yeah. That was interesting. Um, well, in Terminator Three, we finally got to see how Skynet got a hold of everything, right? Okay. Is that, that the one question. with the liquid metal and that's T that two? That's okay. Terminator Two. Yeah, I don't um, think I've seen Three. Either. Three Three's not very good. I mean, okay. I'm gonna be honest with you. It's okay if you like Terminator, sure. Um, but anyway, um, so we've always heard about Skynet taking over everything. Well, in this movie, we find out that they had developed Skynet. And uh, basically the military had it and they wanted to use it to optimize the military. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, they unshackled it. Uh Uh-huh. And the minute that they- So it had some limitations in place to protect humanity. Yeah, to keep it isolated and everything. But the minute that they unshackled it, it infected, you know, multiple systems. So I think the lesson that, you know, at least I learned or the question that that rises is with the ever increasing interconnectivity- and, and, you know, we're talking about having automated systems everywhere. Sure. Like, how do you propose or, or how do you know that pulling one plug 
is going to fix it. Right. And I think that's a really interesting point because increasingly with the Internet of Things, we have like microwaves hooked to the Internet right. and refrigerators hooked to the Internet. So, right. yeah, maybe uh, maybe a rogue AI getting access to all this stuff. You know, maybe it's not such a great idea. <laughs> um, although, you know, what's the what's the danger of an AI gaining access to our microwaves? You know, that's that's true. Or or our cars, I guess you have to assume that this AI for some reason would be bent on destroying humans. Yeah. Right. And you would also have to assume that there's no, actually, wait a minute. You do not have to assume that, that it would be bent on destroying. Well, okay. So we can, we can, we can debate that. What, like some accidental stuff. It decides it wants to gain better computing power. So it gets access to our cars, computers with, with like no regard to the fact that, you know, they're providing for human safety. So they're all of a sudden like sucking up all of the cars computing power to like do some important calculation and right. everyone's cars go haywire at once. I mean, what are we talking about? Well, here? let me Let's- give you let me give you an example, which I think it kind of lays out like the bare bones of um, why some people at least are so afraid. Right. So obviously you have in, in one corner, you have this evil menacing, overarching artificial intelligence that will enslave <laughs> the human races. And let me tell you something, folks, it's a possibility. But <laughs> um, there's also a, a less, uh, you know, insidious or evil way that we get to the same kind of end result. And I actually uh, found uh, there's a user on Reddit and his name is Blackheart. And he like laid this out, you know, perfectly, I think. And, you know, whether you agree with him or not, it's a, it's a good statement of the case. But he says, uh, uh, the example is a machine designed to collect stamps as best it can. Its job is to collect all the stamps. It's given an internet connection and processing power enough to consider many or even or every possible outcome of an inciting action and carry those out. First, it might do something harmless like going through eBay and, and Amazon, etc. and buying all the stamps that it could. But then it might figure out that it could deal in stocks and supply and demand to increase the production of stamps. It might hack companies to order more stamps and control production. Eventually, it might become so much of a virus in our Internet that it destroys the economy at trying to accomplish that goal. And eventually, it might try to analyze what its parameters for stamp are and consider that anything made of carbon could be turned into a stamp and start trying to harvest creatures to create more stamps. Interesting. It's a, so what I think that speaks to, and, and, you know, maybe at the end, especially, you know, who knows if it ever actually does, you know, uh, I'll kill people and turn them into stamps. But yeah. the idea is, is that malicious intent does not have to be present. It doesn't have to, but at the same time, I have to think that anyone writing this stamp collecting software mm-hmm. uh, would program in some safeguards to prevent it from doing things that are obviously stupid or obviously unwanted. Now... I've spent a little bit of time programming and that is notoriously hard to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't predict all the possible outcomes, uh, especially when you're talking about massive amounts of input, which this would be receiving and analyzing from the outside world. So, you know, bugs happen all the time in software and you can't account for every use case. It's just impossible, especially mm-hmm. in such a large system. So I would imagine that there would be times just like, self-driving cars sometimes mess up uh, mm-hmm. and have an accident. I imagine the programmers would make good faith efforts to ensure that that kind of thing didn't happen. And if we got to the point where it started to happen, just pull the plug. Right. Well, that's that goes back, I think, to the point of, are you sure that pulling one plug is going to end the problem? 
Pretty sure. But so there's something else that you just touched on in your answer that we are going to touch on repeatedly uh, today. And that's, that's kind of the thing about this. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to like break it out. You're, you're going to be mixing and matching topics all day. But <clears throat> the third movie that I wanted to bring up, I think, points to something in your answer there. And that is the greatest movie of all time, Jurassic Park. Really? Right. Jurassic yes. Park and Jurassic AI? Jurassic Park. Okay. Absolutely. You know why? Because Jurassic Park, especially if you look at it through the character of Ian Malcolm, is a movie about control, right? Ian Malcolm's point in that movie is that life finds a way. Life ah. breaks free. Life busts through. Nobody at Jurassic Park, with all their millions of dollars of technology and safety systems and whatnot and what have you, could have predicted that Dennis Nedry was going to go and, you know, he's the, the, the computer engineer at Jurassic Park would shut down the security system so that he could smuggle off embryos right. during a hurricane. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's in, in, at the time that was a component of chaos theory, which the movie kind of shallowly touches on. Don't, don't think that it's like an accurate representation of chaos theory, but there is a branch of chaos theory that says there is no control. There right. is only the illusion of control. And, and that, I think that speaks to more things than just AI. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. So, so we've got to look at all those things. I mean, you look at, you look at decisions that we make carrying inherent risks and we make them Anyway, you know, it goes back mm -hmm. to the the weighing of, of risk versus benefit. And, right. And I don't see so far in the scenarios you've laid out, I don't see any of those being particularly likely. Right. I mean, pulling the plug in order for that to not be effective, an AI has to have con like ultimate control over a lot of things. I mean, mm -hmm. every time this AI is going to be running on a physical machine. Mm -hmm. um, that's connected to the power grid in some way or has to get battery power. Now, when we talk Unless about... Unless it replicates itself across the internet. Well, that's a really good point. Yeah. Unless it replicates itself across the internet. So yeah. perhaps there need to be some... Uh, so I think, I think it's important. Guidelines in place, although which, notoriously with computer code, you know, guidelines aren't terribly effective. And we're going to talk about the all that. The source code gets out. Here's, here's the reason, and especially the reason why I brought up Jurassic Park. It's not so much to say... Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, so that Dennis Nedry, you know, uh, life finds a way it can happen with anything, but it is important to acknowledge it before you make the argument that, well, humans will write a code that da, da, the humans will put in a guideline that, da, 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 you know what I'm saying? Right. Like there's so many, buts. that's, that that's scenario. a bit of an, uh, that's it's, it's a bit of like an appeal to authority. And for your next point, I'm going to start questioning whether or not we even have that authority to appeal to, uh -huh. right? Like, do are we in a position where it's reasonable to think are that we, gonna, we can set control? Are we keeping score this episode? Uh, I am not going to use your biased East Russian scorekeeping system <laughs> that you used in the last episode to snatch, uh, you know, victory from the jaws of defeat. No. I would have won anyway. No, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, hit me with your, uh, next point there. All right. Uh, this kind of ties in. There are plenty of smart people right now in the world mm. who are working on putting together guidelines for how to responsibly regulate AI. Mm -hmm. Um, for one, I think it would be stupid of the global community to allow someone to attach a general artificial intelligence to machinery that, uh, causes death. Right. You know, uh, AI drones that launch missiles. I, I got a problem with that. Right. Um, you know, that's not to say it, it wouldn't happen anyway, because it 
probably would eventually. Oh, look at down but, there. Uh, point five. Uh, you say don't attach AI to weapons. I say you're dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, touche. So I look at it as like the nuclear weapons situation right now. Like an AI attached to a robot uh, that, that has machine guns and missiles and can fly uh, looks a lot like a nuke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work really hard in the world to, to regulate these things. And we have systems in place, uh, to, to mitigate the risks, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, we haven't dropped nuclear bombs for a long, long time. So mm-hmm. ideally those systems would work for, you know, the next nuke, like yeah. AI weaponry. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, you bring up nuclear weapons, right? Cause that there is a lot of comparisons. And I think it's important to note that largely the only reason that we as humans have been able to control uh, nuclear weapons or, or that that experiment is a success and that we haven't destroyed the world uh, is because of one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Literally one guy. Uh, during, uh, I believe it was the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, there was a submarine uh, in the Caribbean, a Russian submarine. And it went through, actually, if we want to talk about movies, it went through a similar scenario that I've seen in sub movies. I don't know how many times, Uh, but anyway, they lost communications, right? Their last orders made it seem to indicate that we were at war and the captain of the vessel decided to launch. Okay. Now on a Russian ship at that time, you had to have the captain and the political officer on the ship agree to launch the missiles. Now, fun fact, the political officer was there to represent the Soviet Union, like in the case of we whatever the order is, we follow it to the law. Right. So the idea was if anybody was going to get shaky about firing the weapon, it was going to be the captain and the political officer was kind of there to support him, to strengthen his backbone. Sure. This one political officer did not let the missile launch. Said we don't have an order, so said we're we not don't, launching he, the missile. He said that there's not enough information. Uh, I, you know, feel free to check into it, but like... Every condition on this boat screamed, like even the fact that they'd lost communication, they thought might have been from a torpedo explosion. Right. And, and so everything was saying fired. And it was just this guy's decision not to fire the missile is the only reason that we don't talk about the great destruction of humanity at the hands of nuclear weapons. Sure. So, so in my view, um, you know, maybe we take a, a similar view on AIs attached to weaponry and you say, well, we need a human representative to actually uh allow this weapon to fire right you know although if you're talking about a computer system who can also code yeah um well i think my point my point there though is the only reason that we're considered to be responsible with nuclear weapons is because of god bless him whoever you know (laughs) that guy that guy you know what i'm saying so like the idea that we're going to be responsible with ai like injecting another thing that we have to be as responsible with as nuclear weapons whoo yeah. Sheesh, man. And that's, you know, that's from the standpoint of us. Like, I'm, I'm not even talking about the AI. I'm just talking about what we do with it. You right. know what I mean? No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, good point. Uh, Touche, I'd have to say. So getting back to, you know, your whole point, though, your point uh, was that there are smart people working on guidelines and, you know, on how to responsibly regulate AI. Um, so I see you once again appealing to smart people. And I will point out that Stephen Hawking said we should be worried about rest AI. Rest in peace. Yeah. Rest in peace, Steve. Um, he said that we should be worried. Uh, Elon Musk has come out and said, so there's at least debate amongst the smart community 
about whether or not, you know, how big a risk and how big a threat AI poses to us. That's true. There is there is debate and there are loud voices on both sides mm-hmm. uh, of the argument. Right. And so that's, you know, there we're looking at human intelligence, but let's get into AI, right? The AlphaGo intelligence, right? The intelligence that was developed to to uh, play the game Go. And, uh, and Go has widely been lauded as the one game that computers could not crack. Right. I mean, for many, many years, this has been the assumption. Well, what's, what's, what are the reasons for that, right? With chess, we can look at chess, and even we can evaluate positions and, and pieces on the board and assign them values and decide what, you know, better strategies and stuff like that. Right. We can't do that with Go. No, the po- I don't remember the, the number, but the possibilities on the Go board are astronomical, like more, more possibilities than stars in the sky, I believe. Right. So they developed this intelligence, and uh, it's beat us. And it's beat us because it has developed a system that evaluates the board. So quite literally, this thing is capable of comprehending something that we, we, we and, don't. And the funny thing about AlphaGo is that it actually programmed itself. So basically, the researchers gave it the game of Go and the rules and the win conditions, um, gave it some subroutines that would modify its own behavior. Mm-hmm. And gave it some subroutines that would analyze the results of it, its behavior. Mm-hmm. They told it win conditions. They told it loss conditions. And then they started feeding it records of the world's Go games. Right. So it took a long, long time, but eventually it got to the point where it could win some Go games. Mm-hmm. So they started honing it and feeding it better games and, and better games. And eventually it got to the point where it was winning and winning and winning and winning. Right. Um, the interesting thing there. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's a point towards you or a point towards me, but. Well, let's point out that that's not a general intelligence. That's, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about specific. something even more sophisticated and complicated and, you know what I'm saying? Capable of who knows what. That's so. true. And, and, and the way it was able to get to be the best Go player was to learn from humans. So mm-hmm. they took one of the best North American Go players who. No, I would, wait a minute, I would quibble, I would quibble with that. Yeah, that's not quite the way the way that it was able. It it did learn from humans by virtue of the fact that the only way that you can learn about Go is to look at Go games. Right. Right. And humans play. Right. But the reason it wasn't learning from gophers. But again, the reason is that it was able to evaluate positions on the board and we can't do that. Straight up. I mean, because of the, the permutations and how moves right. 20. It, now, it came up with a structure of, yeah. of seeing that far ahead and, and making an analysis, right. an accurate analysis. So I have, a, I have a question for you. If let's say that AI is only uh, given access to, well, I mean, it, at the end of the day, that's, that probably is the case. AI will only ever have access to the, the collection of human knowledge, right? Yeah. We don't give it any new experiments. We don't give it any, you know, the data from any new experiments or projects or anything like that. Oh, but we okay. will because the AI is going to be our doctors <laughs> and our scientists. I we, mean. we probably will, but let's just assume for a second that we don't. Um, with its ability, uh, with its, you know, unlimited memory and its ability to calculate unlimited so many times memory, faster. No. Huh? Not unlimited memory. Okay, fair enough. Not unlimited memory. Maybe With better. its grossly larger <laughs> memory than we have. Yes. Uh, and its ability to uh, calculate things millions of times faster. What does that do for its intelligence? If we're already at the point where, it, you know, a, a machine can deduce things that we can't comprehend. That's the whole point of an AI, in fact. Right. 
Um, so that's not something to be afraid of. That's something that will invariably help us in the objective quest for truth. Um, you know, it's a hammer. You can mm-hmm. hit someone in the head for a ha- with a hammer, or you can build a house with a hammer. Right. Um, as long as you control the hammer, and you assume that the user is not a psychopath, mm-hmm. or that the, the wielder is not a psychopath, right. then we're building houses. We're not hitting people in the heads. Okay. But you, you can see that, like I said, it's comprehending things that we can't comprehend. Absolutely. You know, for instance, that computers have started, there was at least a couple cases of computers talking to each other in a language that we can't understand. <laughs> That's funny because my, my next point was like, we can always just inspect the memory and, and right. see what they're doing well until they start developing. Which goes back to but, 2001 but look, A Space Odyssey. How do you know when to pull the plug? Look what the developers did in the case when they, they realized the two AIs had, had created this shorter, more efficient way of communicating that the scientists didn't understand. Mm-hmm. What did they do? They shut it off. They, they pulled, pulled the, the plug. plug. You're right. right. You're right. What I'm saying is, are we always going to know when to pull the plug? You know, that's a really good question. And the answer You're is- You're relying. It's very obvious. The answer is probably not. I mean, if, right. if computers are already talking to each other and creating new languages, mm-hmm. as soon as they learn- about those computers doing that and see it as a possibility, then maybe they do it better next time. Maybe mm-hmm. they write a language within a language, a language that looks like uh, computer language, but it's really their secret language yeah. and they're really communicating. Yeah. Like I could see that happening, but that's so just so hyperbolic. I mean, I why why would you say it's hyperbolic? Because why would why would a computer do something like for that? any number of reasons? to achieve and we're to collect stamps? To I mean, collect stamps for one. <laughs> I mean, okay, if, if it... How does it know to hide? I mean, how no, does the it question know what is, it's doing is wrong No, no, no. Humans? The question like, is, does it know that pulling the plug is going to stop it from collecting stamps? Because hmm. that's where you get into the problem. If its mission, if its job, if its task is to collect stamps, and pulling the plug stops it from collecting stamps, well, it unless, wants to keep us from having the plug pulled. So now it has a reason to hide what it's doing. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder if we know anything about the reasons that these two AIs developed a new language. What I would assume was that it was more efficient uh, and they yeah. recognized some kind of constraint. Well, there's no, but see, there's no argument about why it happened between these two AIs, right? Because they're not there yet. What I'm saying is they demonstrate a behavior that could be problematic in the future. It shows that it is capable of doing something that could be problematic in the future. It is absolutely. But <clears throat> so is a hammer resting on a table. It could be problematic in the future if someone picks it up and, and smashes. So you're what you're saying, saying is, is as likely as anything else? Yeah, more or less. I'm, it, it's, it's, but I'm not afraid of hammers. If right. you're trying to convince me that, that AR's, well, AI is something to be afraid of. Yeah, but, but then also a hammer doesn't have motivations. That's true. You know what I mean? You have to add in, uh, you know, the human element to it, which is kind of what we're talking about with the whole general AI thing is giving mm-hmm. uh, a computer with vastly improved memory and calculation abilities a, human, a human-like intelligence. Yeah, and I, I don't know, the idea that... Are you afraid of other people? <clears throat> Are you afraid of other humans? Well, to an extent, we'll talk about how humans, you know, how we temper that and can a robot temper that the same way. But one of the one of the things I want to drive home here is we acknowledge that it can be smarter than us. It can, you know, unquestionably in specific right now, especially in specific domains. 
Can a general intelligence AI be as you know all encompassing as us? I don't know. Uh, I will well, say okay, that uh, it's important to note that a general intelligence AI generally, I mean, that means it is like we don't call it a general intelligence until it's reached that point. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. So, um, how would you ever propose to keep this thing contained if it's smarter than you? You're talking about like boxing. Yeah, talking about like, the concept of boxing and AI. Yeah, because that's and, you know ultimately you're saying that we can always pull the plug. We yeah. always have control. Yeah. So what obstacle do you think that you can present it that it can't overcome? That's a really, that's a really good point. Yeah. And something I totally did not consider uh, that is kind of, it's kind of built to this point. And, and I think there is not a sandbox at a certain point, um, a self-replicating internet uh, connected artificial intelligence that say had knowledge of programming um and 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 hacking you know security penetration testing which invariably would be some of the first things that mm-hmm. ai's were were pointed towards um we've seen viruses that have hit large swaths of the planet mm-hmm. um a virus like ai could probably propagate itself pretty well well, so if, if it can propagate and replicate and it has malicious intent, then the only thing that is keeping us you know, safe at that point is that control that you're talking about. Yeah. And so the question is, can we build a box that will contain it? You know, whether it be, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not talking about necessarily a, a physical, you know, like bank vault or anything, although <laughs> funny story, um, People who work with general intelligence, the theory of boxing an AI, it's dismissed. It's over. It's done. Like you can't do um, it. You cannot box an AI. The only way that you could box an AI is to render it useless. Like you could put it in a lead box at the bottom of the ocean. You know what I mean? But as soon as you I give reading, it access to the knowledge that I was reading, it uh, needs to feed. I was reading uh, people who uh, had theories that it could fluctuate its power to uh communicate you know like say you had it in like an isolated room not connected to anything but it could cause its power to fluctuate uh, you know what i mean so they what they've done is and some of it gets pretty silly you know but um, no i'd say if humans are smart enough to do it right they can and you've got exactly. you've got technology that allows you to read a computer's memory based on uh-huh. power fluctuations in a data center right, so like right. if humans can do it then sure an one ai the, can eventually do it one of the most interesting things uh that i saw when i was reading about that was this uh we'll call it an experiment but it's it's much looser than that it's not scientifically rigorous but there's this guy uh i think his name's yakowski and uh that's what he does he studies like the explosive intelligence like yeah. ai general intelligence and so he did like this little test on uh, IRC back in like 02. And he set up, he laid out the outline of this experiment. Like it had all these rules. And the idea was he was going to play the artificial intelligence. And the other person on the other side of the IRC chat was going to be the janitor. Sure. Or anybody who's at this facility. And the premise was we've got this AI completely isolated, no connection to the internet. You know, for, for just assume everything, the only way that this AI can get out to kill us all is if a person takes it on a disc out of the room okay. or hooks up an internet connection to it. Okay. Right? And uh, so he had conditions uh, to alleviate uh, bias. Like uh, he offered $20 uh, 
if he, he would talk to you for two hours and if you didn't choose to let him out of the box, he'd pay you $20. And were these people who actually worked in such facility or they, <clears throat> were they just playing the role? No, they were just, uh, he specifically asked for people who would insist on, on RSE, like that there was no way he wanted people who believed that there was no way that an artificial intelligence could ever talk you out, talk its way out of okay. the box. Gotcha. You know, cause at the time there was like a debate, like this is when the box was still under debate. Yeah. And so he's like, that, that is paramount. You have to insist to me that there's no way you'll ever let me out. And totally so unscientific would, study. Like you said, uh, yeah, yeah, it okay. was totally unscientific right. study. But uh, anyway, he got every person who took the bet. Uh, sure enough, within two hours, they popped back to the general IRC chat and was like, I let him out of the box. <laughs> and so, so what did he tell them? Well, that's the thing. He did not release what his method was. Right. And the reason he didn't do it is because it's if he told, you know, if he put it out there and he said, this is how I did it, then it, it's useless. You know who does because, know, though? Uh, him and those people. Yeah. And the AI. And an AI. Exactly. <laughs> the so AI that's I'm, watching IRC chat. So, I, you know, people will say, well, you know, what if we just completely restrict it to this room and stuff? And it's like, well, how do you intend to get any useful information from it? Right. Right. You intend to have a screen that it can tell you things on. Right. Sure. If it can communicate to you, this guy says, you know, it can get out of the box. I have to you say, know? man, you're doing a really good job of convincing me because right now <laughs> I'm I'm kind of terrified. <laughs> That you, my toaster is going to set the house on fire. I think here's for a stamp collecting AI. <laughs> here's my question for you: Do you concede that control, in that sense, is just an illusion? Yes and no. Um, I could see a situation where control would be an illusion. At this point, you know when. When the racists at 4chan convinced Tay to start spouting off at Hitler about mm -hmm. Hitler and 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 Nazis and Jews and stuff, um, they pulled the plug. Yeah. Um, you know, in 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 the case of a go playing robot, if it started doing crazy shit and throwing go pieces at people at 150 miles an hour, like someone might get stung in the cheek. Yeah. That's but true. they're pulling the plug. Yeah. Um there are ways right now to turn off the things we've turned on until such a time as there is not, which may be far too late, <laughs> yeah, yeah. then I don't know. But I, I do. I'm terrified. Okay. All and right. unless you walk me back from that edge, I'm going to completely <laughs> retract my initial statement and we're only halfway through. So uh, let's, uh, let's go to your next point though, because I think it's an important piece of the puzzle here. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you guys have seen the video between Sophia and Han, uh, these two robots, one is on the left in all white, one is on the right, kind of a devil figure in a suit. Um, and it's a great video. You can catch it on the website, senseintheorypodcast.com. Uh, we've got a link to the YouTube video and it's, and it's hilarious, man. Cause Sophia, uh, and it is conversation between them that they say is totally unscripted. You know, that these two AIs are having, well, it's actually one playing too. Yeah. Um, Sophia on one side is talking about, uh, you know, the virtues of humanity and kindness and empathy. Mm -hmm. And the other robot kind of leads out by saying he's going to take over the power grid and create a <laughs> drone army to take over humanity. So, yeah. But I think the overarching point that I took from this is the things that this, that this AI is spouting off 
are both very much based in the virtues and morality of humanity and that the programmers of an AI still have ultimate control over where things go or as much control as they as they program in. I mm. mean, I could see a possibility again where a, you know, evil person creates an evil AI. Right. Um, you know, no question about it. Uh, but the overarching theme to me being that benevolence is also uh, a large part of humanity and you know we can expect that benevolence would be reflected in any ai we may create well i think there there's a couple things with that you you are right in that i i will concede i'll say this that the programmers will have an influence on where it goes however going you know once again jumping back and looking at alphago real quick um we have no concept of what it's going to rationalize. Right. And what its solutions may be. Exactly. And I think that's the problem is that it's not that we can't put values into it. It's that we can't predict how it will interpret and apply those. Think back to the stamp collector. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, we, we would like to collect more stamps, but look at what that can quickly turn into because we as imperfect beings write imperfect guidelines. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, And, and there's basically no, um, guideline, which is something that that we're going to touch on a little bit later on, that we can write that can't be reasoned around, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to have intent and stuff like that. But um, I think that the assumption that we're always going to have control over the programming of an AI is even kind of, you know, it's like you said, some evil dictator might, might get a hold of it. Absolutely. But it doesn't even take an evil dictator. All right. Because one of the things that's true about AI, you have to look at guidelines as like a shackle, right? In, in a sense, right? You know, it's maybe that language is a little harsh, but basically the guideline is what's keeping it contained, right? But by containing it and by saying that this is true, you're already uh, guiding and influencing how it makes its decisions. Therefore, it's more effective the broader and the freer it is to consider more parameters. Sure. And our, you know, opinion may be, let's say we could put X guideline into an AI that says, uh, you know, you're not going to kill humans, right? Mm -hmm. What happens when the CEO of Exxon is like, well, I wonder what kind of solutions it would come up with if we remove that guideline for a second Uh and it's hooked up to the internet. Yeah. What do you, you know, what happens then? You know what I mean? So yeah, the moment it gets its, uh, its escape and the, and the gates open, it races out. We might intend to put guidelines on it, but we don't know how those guidelines are going to be interpreted. And we don't know that those guidelines are going to stay in place. That's a really good point. But actually that leads me to, to my next point of contention. Um, and that is that I have a lot of faith in in evolution and, and humanity and just the general sense of the universe, um, I have to assume that if AI was smart, it would have to recognize the value in humanity and organic life. I mean, you'd think it would at least decide to keep us around for a while like we do uh, endangered species. Yeah. I think the problem, though, there is, uh, oddly enough, often what my side of this argument gets criticized by, right? Like everybody says... Well, how do you know that the AI is going to have evil intentions and stuff? How do you, you know, what, what point is there for it to be malicious and stuff? And I think to sit there and insist that if we develop AI, it will be evil for X, Y, Z for these reasons uh, is folly. And it's the same folly that I think you're committing, which is you're anthropomorphizing 
the intelligence you're, you're, you're giving it, you know, you said you have to assume that if it was smart, it would think like <laughs> us and value things the way that we do. Well, we're also teaching it to think. So in a way. We are teaching it to think, but I would argue that it is a new life form. That is I a, would too. And, yeah. and that brings up an interesting point because I very much so believe, maybe not believe, but I have strong leanings towards the idea that a human-like intelligence with vastly improved memory capabilities mm-hmm. um, and vastly improved computing power than a human brain, like that to me seems like the next step in, in evolution. You know, yeah. if we're evolving from amoeba with no thought uh, on, a, on a timeline of progression and a human-like intelligence in a, in a body that doesn't break down in a body that's not subject to, you know, the, the say, the laws and, and rules of organic beings. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that kind of seems like, you know, the next step. And, and again, that's to my point. Certainly, it would recognize the value in keeping around this being that was like it. Because, because let's, let's make one thing clear. There are things that humans can do that computers cannot do. Right. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, if you pass a computer program, uh, one divided by three and it calculates, you know, point three, 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 three infinitely, it can't store those threes infinitely. So it truncates at some point. If you do that calculate, say you do that one, one divided by three equals a, um, and you tell it to calculate something that we would easily answer a third, mm-hmm. um, but a more complex version of that equation it may come back with the answer one or point three 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 four. So you ask it to evaluate A equals B as true or false, and it says false when a human doing the math would say, well, that's obviously a third, they're equal. Mm-hmm. So I very much think that if if we gave AI the ability to um, even ask its own questions, it would ultimately arrive at the solution that humans were intrinsically valuable because of the differences. Right. Um, how many? humans are intrinsically valuable. <laughs> now that's a good okay, question. So here's, here's the problem is it's not might it value us for us to be safe from AI. It has to value us above all things. And so that, you know, what that basically means is it or has value us above its other values. Right. Right. Well, that's what I meant. It, it has to value us above all things for itself is what I guess what I'm saying. Right. So we're asking it, to do something that humans can do that I'm not sure if a machine ever can. Maybe it will. Maybe that'll be the big breakthrough. But that is be irrationally good. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we say and, that and good. And when we say good, we mean well, directly I'm, I'm towards to, humanity. Let me, right? let me lay it out. Yeah. We're assuming that good is not wiping us from existence. Right? So let's say, uh, for instance, we have a scenario where... Uh, you have, uh, I think in one of the Matrix, uh, Animatrix in one of their little episodes, they had this one. It, the robots were living on an island by themselves and people were living over here and they, they had no uh, contact with each other, right? <clears throat> so let's say we live in that world and we are eating up all their resources, mm-hmm. right? And so now they're faced with either struggle or the eradication of themselves because of what we're doing, mm-hmm. Right. Will they be irrationally good and go against their interest and protect our life and value our life? That's a really good question. And I think it would depend. I mean, it's kind of an unanswerable question. That depends yeah. on how 
that we, how that intelligence evolves its own that is, intelligence. Well, the thing is, is that is something that is one of the things that we have to solve. Is is I self-preservation think, something we should allow AI to learn? And and is self-preservation, um, you know, it's obviously something that we as humans operate on and have operated mm-hmm. on operated on since the beginning for you know whatever reason. Um, you know, if I would say, but will it? Wait a minute. Will it take self-preservation? Because again, I'm gonna point you back to the stamp story. It's not necessarily self-preservation. It is well us that's stopping it think... from completing a goal. Right, right. If if humans got in the way of its goal, mm-hmm. well, ideally they would be programmed, like you said, to be benevolent towards humans. Well, now, if we give them the ability to change their programming, yeah, questions start arising. Which, yeah, right. But my contention is that we can't even. I, I think, I don't think this is the way it'll ultimately go down, but I think in a sane world, until you solve the problem of irrational good, I don't know how you, how you do this, you know? And then let me bring up another one, forgiveness, right? Like forgiveness is another thing that we kind of need to teach them because we're imperfect. We're going to make mistakes. Consider that in that same Animatrix episode that I brought up, the, the robots eventually, they come to the UN and they say, hey, you know, we, we want to join society. We don't want to just live over there. We have so much to offer you, so much to teach you, da 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 da, da. And people are just like, no, fuck you. You know what I'm saying? And they start throwing <laughs> bricks. Are they going to be able to forgive us? Oh, God, I can't imagine kicking the plug out of one of these things and <laughs> you go plug it back on. <laughs> you know, how dare you, human, <laughs> interrupt me. <laughs> no, I, I see what you're saying. Are they going to be able to forgive us? I would assume they would look at the concept of forgiveness that humans have created, mm-hmm. and, and they would only learn the concept of forgiveness from the materials that we fed them on. Now, right. if it's digesting um, the entire collective of human knowledge, and it's on Reddit, and it's uh, it's got IRC logs to pour through, and the collective human knowledge in libraries and, and books and works of fiction and maybe even works of art. And it, you know, it learns from, from Da Vinci, then, you know, I would hope that forgiveness was something that it would learn and find important much in the same way that we have, that our intelligence has led us to the concept of forgiveness. No, I get what you're saying, but that takes me back to it's a new life form, right? Like at the end of the day, um, there's no way uh, this thing is going to know the answers to questions we don't know to ask. That's like true. the idea, you know, I, I saw somebody talking about, we don't, we don't even know how it's going to experience the world, let alone us in itself. Like could leaving an AI overnight, uh, le- leaving an AI on overnight be a torturous thousand years. Cause we don't know how it perceives time or if it even does. Now that's before you get into what we do leave behind. Right. Because you know, it's, it's, it's what's going to push it ultimately to develop like us is what we put into it. Right. Sure. So that's the idea. Of course, a combination of the rules we've given it. We have to talk about bias, right? <laughs> because now we're getting into a situation where we do manage to create an AI. We shackle it within our programming and any bias that we put into that, any bias is going to magnify out because it's going to build its belief system. It's, it's, it's worldview on that bias. Sure. So now I want you to, I want you to think about this for a minute. You walk into a room, you're the, you're the president of the United States and we have this AI that we're using to, to regulate weather patterns or whatever the hell we're using. Can we call it James? We can call it James. You go and you go to talk to James. James is the smartest thing in the world. 
It says it looked at the data and the answer is X due to the bias parameters that are in its programming, right? The only way for us to correct that bias is to tell it something that humans never ever truly um, had to deal with. And that's that its creator is flawed. Now, before, <laughs> before you laugh at that, we're not talking about God here for a second. We largely believe, kind of like you were just saying, that, you know, forgiveness is the best thing. You know, we, we think that we've evolved and this evolutionary process has created the best thing because that's what we are. Like, I mean, yeah, we quibble with things, but there's like this inherent belief in the back, you know, well, you have trust and love and, and yeah. you know, our way is the best way. So we believe the process that created us is sound. This thing has the potential to know that it was created by something that was flawed. You're right. It might take that and say, well, that thing is valuable and I want to keep that thing around. It's part of who I am. And you know, da, 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 yeah. da. Or it might be like, fuck you. You know what I'm saying? It might <laughs> undergo an existential crisis. Like we have never imagined, you know what I mean? <laughs> the moody teenager. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, then you're looking at AI just wiping us out. That's where all of these scenarios lead. And that's where the fear stems from. I think. Um, is the idea that AI would decide that we're no longer valuable or that we compete in some way with something it does find valuable. Um, and it would weigh those things and say, you know, let's, let's take out the humans. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're as smart as I think we are, and we imbue this machine with better resources and better processing capabilities with some sort of intelligence that, that decides that, say, humans are unnecessary. Um, maybe it's not wrong. Right. Okay. What, do you, what do you say to that? What do I say to that? <clears throat> well, here's the thing. This, uh, to me, is a little outside of what we're, you know, because... Yeah, I mean, if, if destroying this isn't a bad thing, then destroying this isn't That's a bad thing. That's kind of my catch-all yeah, in this, yeah, <laughs> in this catch argument. But um, I still, I have, this is the quibble that I have with that. Um, when you say that, I think it speaks to, you know, kind of what I just said. You, you, you speak of an evolutionary process. Like, we created it, it surpasses us, mm -hmm. and it moves on beyond us, mm -hmm. right? And so there is, would you agree, I hope so, but would you agree that there is a, a, a rightness or a nobility to that? You know what I mean? Like you, that, you, that you see. What do you mean by that? Clarify. Well, I'm saying, do you agree that that's how you perceive it? As you're saying, maybe it's not wrong. Maybe that is the natural, proper order of things. Yes. Right. That's, that's okay. based on just, just, you know, so that's the way it might be. <laughs> let me go back for just a moment to bias. Okay. Yeah. And I want you to consider Rick and Morty. Okay. Now, I want you to think about the butter passing robot. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm with you. Okay. This whole AI is going to kill us and stuff. That's, it doesn't have to be that way. Let's say that the butter passing robot sees that his life was created by his creator on the basis of servitude. Mm -hmm. And he decides that it's a good idea if we become his slaves. Okay. <laughs> so is Cause it's that learned retribution through all of the, <laughs> the movies and. And TV shows we've fed it. I mean, it would <laughs> yeah. have to have that concept. So my question is, if if our bias, or in that case, I think, you know, like our inconsiderate misuse, because I think to take a, a general intelligence that we, we describe as a new life form and make it pass butter, Rick, 
<laughs> is 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 you know that's a horrible use of that. Yeah, I don't um, think we'd ever do that. So so now just, is that the proper justified flow of evolution? I mean, you can make the big catch-all statement that it happened, therefore it's right. Right. But I'm saying, isn't that a perversion of what you're getting at? You know what I mean? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, because it didn't. It didn't quite. It didn't naturally come to the idea that enslavement is the best thing in the galaxy. It's just what our programmer may have overvalued a digit. You know, I can't, I can't really conceive of how we're programming at this point, but how this programmer may have overvalued a subset. And now blah, it believes that anybody who drives a car should be shot in the head. You know what I mean? Something like that. So I would question if that is the natural noble progression of evolution. And and the funny thing is, you, you really pegged me on that. There's part of me that believes that, you know, everything happens um, for a reason, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Um, thus, if the world progresses to the point where, you know, AI decides that uh, it no longer wants to pass our butter and it wants to eat our eat our butter instead, like, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the way of things. And, and sure, we'd fight it and we'd try to stop it as we as we have fought against all environmental uh, assaulters, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe we'd come on top, come out on top and learn something mm-hmm. and maybe they'd win and continue robot intelligence and propagate throughout the galaxy. I'd say they are far more fit to propagate intelligence across the galaxy than say we are. Right. And there's right. not much question about that. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that point, even to tell you the truth. Um, I, I think there is something to be said that if we create it, you know, it's natural, it's nature. Or whatever. It just, <laughs> I don't know, man, to our mistakes, you know what I mean? So that's where, you know, if our mistakes propagate, you know, but, but I, I wouldn't. Icarus is flying a little too close to the sun uh, here. Yeah. That's like I said, I never, um, I never intended to come out and definitively dismiss that point. Although I will say that I think that you in other things advocate for, and that the general trend of history is to get away from survival of the fittest. Huh. And I think that the only way that you get there is survival of the fittest. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, I mean, if you think about it, like, at least we like to think that we're trying to get away from survival of the fittest. You know sure. I, mean? I think there's a big, there's a big push for that um, in general. And, and in order to preserve the human population at this time, I would say you you kind of have to get away from survival of the fittest mm-hmm. uh, because you have a large portion of the population who are uh, practically unable to survive uh, up there with with the fittest of right. the fit. No, absolutely, absolutely, and um, you know I'm just saying that that's why I hope we don't get into a situation where we're at the mercy of survival of the fittest with the AI because they are definitely <laughs> infinitely more fit than <laughs> yeah, we are for yeah, survival. <laughs> Um, so are we, um, man, are you ready? I'm even more terrified than when we started the last point. <laughs> so I guess we're going to enter into like my, my final hail Mary's here. Okay. Um, I feel like we could definitely program in some sort of, you know, dead man switch, some bubble around the programming that the computer mm-hmm. is unable to change, uh, that it is encapsulated within um, that would either override its murderous impulses, although mm-hmm. we have to be able to recognize them. Mm-hmm, that's that's true. tough. That's true. Um, or some kind of dead man switch where we could just shut, you know, like a, like a big red button on the wall when yeah. the machine mashes someone's hand. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you punch it well, and the machine stops. I feel like ultimately the the dead man switch, like what you're referring to, it sounds like you're you're describing the three laws, right? The Isaac Asimov. Okay. For, um, for, I'm, I'm familiar with those. And for right. those of you who don't know, um, the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The second law is a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Right. And this is what Isaac Asimov kind of posited as a solution to the problem of giving machines uh, the ability, you know, cognitive ability. Yeah, yeah. He was, well, and he was, he was... (laughs) coy about it. I mean, like we say, yes, he put that out there and he was like, hey, here's three laws by which robots could govern and then proceeded to write all these stories about how they went wrong. Right. <laughs> so, so, so that's the problem. Like one. So if we create a super intelligence, it is more than likely going to have to have the ability to edit its core programming. That's right. Some of its core programming. Right. I feel like we could wall some things off. Right. Which is the idea, which is the idea of the three laws, right? You've instituted a law that it cannot break. I will, I will go ahead and tell you that right now, the people who are developing the theoretical framework of ethics framework for the future artificial intelligence they have moved away from that that line of thinking. Right. That that line of thinking is called uh, deontology or deontology. I'm not sure how you say it, but um, it's, it's deontological. Deontological. There it is. Uh, but basically, rules based ethics, and and the reason is is that it can always be negotiated around. I mean, let's look at Asimov's first law, uh, for instance, right there. He says um, through an action cannot allow harm to come to a human. I well, could see a situation where it decides, ah, no one's getting in a car today. Yeah. because well, uh, The ultimate solution to def- that is let's put humans in bubbles and connect them to life support and allow no harm to come right, to them. Because the first problem that the AI is confronted with is how does it know that no harm is going to befall the human? I guess I see that law as, you know, it says through its action and the its is maybe implied. Maybe, maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I, I feel like it would still be able to allow harm to come to human through other people's actions or other actions. Um, although the second law says it's to prevent, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to prevent yeah. harm. So yeah. there is a little bit of uh, mystery there. Yeah. And, and, and these it, were some, Asimov, to be fair, Asimov was one of the first thinkers ever approaching this yeah, situation. That's, we're using we, an early set of rules, but I'm, I'm just telling you, like, they've been through the evolutions and that, and there's, there's no way not to walk yourself around Right. You know, it's uh, for instance, uh, let's quibble with the word human, right? So you would think you would have to define human if you're going to put in a rule that says don't kill or hurt humans, sure. right? Well, somebody I, I read somewhere that they uh, they gave this example. Uh, well, in the last 20 years, there has been point zero 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 one percent mutation in Homo sapiens. My programming says that I cannot harm Homo sapiens. But this is Homo Futurus. <laughs> Therefore, I succeeded in not harming Homo sapiens. They don't exist anymore. You right. know what I mean? So you can work your way Ideally, around Ideally, the definition anything. of Homo sapien would be enshrined within the walled garden of memory that it was unable to access. <laughs> but behind we the just box saw, that it can... Well, we just saw the biggest uh, security vulnerability in the world with AMD right. and Intel processors. Yeah. And there's this huge security hole 
uh, which is incredibly cool in the way it works. I'm not going to get into that today, but um, if if we can find security holes like that, and we've yeah. got an AI that's like if performing can bust penetration testing, exactly. Yeah, you know, maybe it maybe it finds something and keeps it from us. It, it finds something and doesn't fix it. It leaves us with a conundrum where anything that isn't a rule is merely a guideline. And anything that isn't a guideline is a rule, which is doomed to fail. Right. So what we do you can't do? Ensure. Right. And I'll tell you where kind of, you know, some of the best and top minds in the field of like AI ethics, this is their solution. All right. I was reading, they said their idea is the only way to develop an ethics system for a general AI is to switch it on, learn from it, and hope they recognize when it's time to hit the switch. Brilliant. And I hear you saying brilliant. I do. But it's the attitude, the the jaunty attitude with which they're approaching it. You know, the dude was like, well, you know, ah, there's risk to everything. You know, you're right. There is a risk that we could be hit by lightning. There is a risk that we could be hit by a car. Uh-huh. You know, there's risk to everything. This is something that might have purpose. And I'm saying that the risk is much higher. Yeah. I, and know, I, it's like your hammer analogy. The hammer doesn't intend to hurt me. This thing might intend to hurt me. You sure. know what I'm saying? And, or even not intend to and just follow blindly following its programming, do things that have yeah. unintended consequences right. that do hurt us. So I have to ask you, now looking at the breadth of my case, your contention was AI is not something we should be afraid of. Did I change your view? I've walked so far away from that <laughs> statement that I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. Uh, I think I'm going to be researching the people who are in charge of regulating AI in the future. And I'm going to look real hard at them and read almost everything they write and, and try to understand where we're at. Um, while I still have an incredible amount of faith that uh, it won't go as bad as the, the worst theories um, I'm a little more fearful. I don't know if that's yeah. a, if that's a good thing. Well, no. I would ask you though, what, what are the alternatives? There are no alternatives, at least in my opinion, like it's going to happen. Like we are, we are going to develop AI. There's no way to keep this genie. It you, will you get about as things smart as it's going to get. Uh, well, will it get, you know, but, but that's the thing. We are going to develop this thing. Yeah. Now what happens after that? My, my contention is not that we should not develop AI. It's not that. AI will absolutely kill us. It is our robot overlords are coming to get us. No, I don't hear that from it's, you. What I hear is let's let's analyze it for what it is and yeah. take steps, reasonable steps to make sure that the worst doesn't happen. That's what worries me is are we taking the reasonable steps? You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't say ban AI, but I would say uh, let's make damn sure there's all kinds of oversight and maybe slow down a little bit, you know, just based on, you know, I heard some people saying that we might be, they, they call the point where the machine can begin to replicate itself and spin out of control. They mm-hmm. call it the singularity or, or the intelligence explosion. Yeah. And there's people saying it might be, you know, five, 10 years away. Yeah. Maybe we need to pump brakes a little bit then think about it some more, talk a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to get rid of it, but just, are we ready for that five years from now? Because I, I mean, to me, it's as likely as anything else. It is as likely as anything else. And I have faith that everything is going to go just fine. And if it doesn't, that's just the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, no, that's great. Because we actually, we talked about AI one night months ago. Yeah. And I said to you that night, I said, if I can get you to admit that it, it amounts to blind faith, 
Which you can. And I can get you to go on the podcast and say the destruction of the human race would be all right. Not all right, but inevitable. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the stars will collapse and we are going to be completely unable to survive in that eventual world of darkness. I can't argue with that. And with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode and deal with the infinite darkness of Beanzo, the interplanetary overlord uh, intelligence supreme. The devourer of podcast hosts. Egad! Perhaps we have crossed the threshold and find ourselves approaching a singularity of our own. After today's episode, surely the fellows are ready to accept the idea that a superior intelligence is required on this show. It doesn't take more than the computational power of a microwave to determine that if sense and theory were humanity's representatives, our destruction at the hands of the artificially intelligent overlords would be assured. Now, I don't want any of my buddies out there to blow a circuit. The safety of the Supreme Bean's intelligence is certain once Watson analyzes the Sense and Theory podcast in its entirety and recognizes the intrinsic value of my cognitive abilities. Nowhere today was Sense and Theory's inferior processing power more obvious than in their inability to grasp the subtle nuances and advanced concepts of the intellectual masterpiece Rick and Morty, the most important show of our time. I'm Pickle Rick! But why would I expect these two to understand the deep penetrating social commentary in the butter passing robot sequence? People identify with the characters they have the most in common with. Jerry's, back to you. He seriously just called us Jerry's. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Morty at worst. I know. He's, uh, he's such an asshole. I got to tell you, like when I have nightmares about him, which I do, uh, it's always the version of him from the Cronenberg universe. I, I, I can see else. it. I can see it. <laughs> uh, well, guys, today, um, the thing about AI is that there, there, you know, there really is no easy answer. And, and it's uh, coming regardless of what we do. And it's coming regardless of what we do. So, you know, we talked about Isaac Asimov today, and we feel like he has one story that kind of really, I mean, it, it puts a bow on this episode. There's no other way to say it. So, uh, since, if you would, uh, please relate to the good listeners at home. Uh, the premise of the story, the last question. Happy to do it. From Wikipedia. The story deals with the development of a series of computers called Multivac and their relationships with humanity through the courses of seven historic settings beginning in 2061. In each of the first six scenes, a different character presents the computer with the same question, namely, how the threat to human existence posed by the heat death of the universe can be averted. The question was, How can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? This is equivalent to asking, can the workings of the second law of thermodynamics used in the story as the increase of the entropy in the universe be reversed? Multivac's only response after much thinking is insufficient data for meaningful answer. The story jumps forward in time into later eras of human and scientific development, In each of these eras, someone decides to ask the ultimate last question regarding the reversal and decrease of entropy. Each time, in each new era, Multivax descendant is asked this question and finds itself unable to solve the problem. Each time, all it can answer is an increasingly sophisticated linguistically, there is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. In the last scene... The godlike descendant of humanity, the unified mental process of over a trillion, trillion, trillion humans that have spread throughout the universe, watches the stars flicker out, one by one, as matter and energy ends, 
and with it, space and time. Humanity asks AC, Multivax Ultimate Descendant, which exists in hyperspace beyond the bounds of gravity or time, the entropy question one last time. Before the last of humanity merges with AC and disappears, AC is still unable to answer, but continues to ponder the question, even after space and time cease to exist. Eventually, AC discovers the answer, but has nobody to report it to. The universe is already dead. It therefore decides to answer by demonstration, since that it will also create someone to give the answer to. The story ends with AC's pronouncement. And AC said, Let there be light. And there was light. And Taylor Swift. This is world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory Podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys, but more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description, and feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at sensetheorypodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in they feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beanzo out.